And here we are, welcome back to Range Anxiety. You missed out on that great opening music that we do every Epicast, coming out of normally the Spotify system and uh, of, of the uh, Telstra Model 3. People actually, before we get into that, welcome to Range Anxiety, and we're doing it again for your midweek Epicast. Uh, people often ask me, why uh, do you call Teslas Telstras? And I imagine that would be quite confusing to some of our American listeners and some of the overseas Europeans because they wouldn't sort of see the uh, relevance of that. It actually comes from one of my good friends um, from book club, Tony Ambrosio, Uncle Tone, one of the LS1 stalwarts that has that little knowledge about electric cars and motor cars in general that he thought that Teslas were made by the Australian phone company Telstra. And he was saying, why are you driving a Telstra car? I mean, Apple are making a car, but it's not exactly Telstra. So there you go. Uncle Tone, consider yourself a learned from the master. That's right. 30 years of experience knowing that it's a Tesla and not a Telstra. One day I'll even explain to you where the name Tesla came from. But today we're in the charming Little Leaf. The car that our series sponsor, our Epic Car sponsor, making a big shout out to City Motor Group with their LDV range, their Kia. Get in and get the last of the Kia Stingers while you still can. Don't go in there and ask for Julian, because he'll be too busy making jokes about Streco with me. Go and see the sales team and get on board. This was a car he told me not to park on his premise when I picked up the LDV van, and yet we made it back. We got the LDV team, whatever it was, the Ted, uh, whatever, yep, van. We got that back to Julian in one piece, just with a bit of angle veil, topsoil, and, and the move is complete. But we're in the leaf today because I'm trying to sort of get into the rhythm of what motoring in 2023 is going to feel like. Or 2023, for those that can count correctly. What? You're getting out of a Telstra Model 3 performance with all the bells and whistles, internet connectivity, massive amount of grunts, and into a little Nissan Leaf with 70 kilowatts. Was it 80 or was it 60? I'm not sure, but not many kilowatts at the wheels, draw it in a straight line with a, a ruler. Yep, there are big problems afoot. Now, you all heard about, you know, my take on the Chinese auto manufacturing, and yeah, they're gonna do a good job, and uh, yeah, they're gonna overrun pretty much everyone. Take it as red, if you don't believe me, piss off, because I'm right, you're wrong. And it's not just me saying this, there are actually many actual smart people out there saying it, so yeah. Maybe City LDV are the right people for me to be aligned with if I want a car in the future. Or maybe I'll do the right thing and just walk. Um, but things are going to change, and not just with the Chinese cars coming, but everything's going to tighten up. Like we've seen the Spankers, the Nimrods, the Peckerheads, all over car sales now. I found this week five GTRs for circa $1 million. You have to be kidding me. You can buy a, a proper, decent car for that money. Not that there's anything wrong with an R35, but there's very little value in one at a million bucks. And if you think it's going to appreciate from there, you got rocks in your head. <laughs> As my offsider, John Munro, and I'm not calling him my partner because some of you will get the wrong idea. I know I'm pretty hot. 
as my uh, business partner John Munro says, um, that's my I'm advertising it but don't want to sell it price because I've made that commitment. He doesn't do that. In fact, he's a little bit disgusted by the whole thing, you know. Real prices for real cars. Maybe a little bit, you know, more than the assured. I mean, the profit's not a dirty word, but, you know, three or four or ten times the value in the instance of like a 2010 JDR, you've got to be smoking some darn good shit and they'll never sell. So, anyway, it's something to look at, isn't it? But I suppose if an old Falcon can be worth that much, like a GDHO, which actually drove like a horse drawn cart without the horse, um, then why can't a GDR be worth that much? Yeah, I'm starting to think maybe they've got a point. But while prices of cars are going through the roof, the supply is falling through the floor. I see it firsthand. Now, the first supply chain problem, and we thought it was all going to be over pretty soon, was the semiconductor problem. I've covered it before in previous Epicasts, but for those of you who don't know about the semiconductor problem, it's pretty easy. Uh, world got COVID, uh, car manufacturers thought they were going to sell cars, so they cancelled parts contracts, some of those, a lot of those being semiconductors, and said we won't be needing them anymore, so take your semiconductor business somewhere else. Um, world semiconductor manufacturers, which are mainly China and Taiwan, said, okay, you beauty, and sold it to people that did fridges and microwaves and everything else that sold off its nut through the pandemic, and unfortunately, so did new cars, and uh, now there's no semiconductors and the manufacturers are going, well, we're booked out, uh, come back, talk to us late 22. Real problems to the point where, you know, all sorts of new luxury brand cars are getting delivered without radar crews and without this and without that and without some of their fancy electronic gimmicks because there are no semiconductors. Obviously, there was only one company that was smart enough to get around this and that was Telstra and Tesla because they can adapt their software because they write it all in-house and have non-traditional supply chains that they can keep making cars because they can adapt to different brands of semiconductor and also they make their own. Right, or have their own made for them that are not good for anyone else. So that was the first problem to the pandemic and everyone was expecting it was gonna get better about now. And it hasn't, it's got worse. Now they're saying the semiconductor problem may be going for yet another 12 to 18 months, which would be a little bit on the nasty side. But while that's nasty, let's throw into the mix Chinese power shortages, Chinese coal shortages, and because Chinese power and coal shortages, the follow-on from that being Chinese diesel shortages. So I'll explain to you the relevance of all of this in a minute. So that at one point where there were factories of people I know that have factories there that were running three shifts, 24 hours in the cast aluminium business in in the um, industrial province, the main one, Guangzhou, whatever, I don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah, the main industrial province, um, the government came up with them and told them, you're now doing one shift between midnight and 8am because there is no power for you. So all of a sudden, the output has sort of uh, gone to one a third. Nasty, worse than cut in half. Now the problem with that is that China is basically the world's biggest magnesium and aluminium uh, manufacturer smelters in the world. Now once upon a time, probably before some of you were born, but mainly your old bastards like me that listen to this epicast, I see the analytics. There was once upon a time we could make these things ourselves up until the early 90s, I think, and back in the 80s. It used to be a lot of that's this stuff done in Australia and America and in Europe. 
Then the Chinese got on board, flooded the market with cheap material to the point where everybody else went out of business. And so we import about, I think, 90% of the world's aluminium. The refined product comes from China. And the same goes for magnesium, which is an important automotive product because it's also a part of uh, the aluminum or aluminium or whatever you want to call it, depending tomato, tomato. So now China are going, well, we can't make enough for ourselves um, because we've got energy shortages and all sorts of problems with logistics over here. Guess who's going to suffer? Uh, everyone else. And, you know, you can't blame China for this. There's no point saying, bloody Chinese, I'm not going to buy anything Chinese. I hate China. You did it to yourselves. We did it to ourselves. Our governments did it to us, and we voted them in. The majority voted them in, so blame the majority and go strangle your neighbour. Not the Chinese people, because they didn't do this. And, you know, when push comes to shove, they will look after themselves. And who would have thought? You know, what an amazing, amazing thing. So now, there are car companies, oh, this is getting pretty savage, right? There are car companies that are saying their output, and I'm not going to mention names because A, my fact-checking hasn't been that great, and B, I don't want to get, like, sued by anyone, but there are whole plants and lines in Europe and America shutting down and going into hibernation or about to go into hibernation, which means a lot of American and European product is basically going to stop being made for local markets in, sorry, export markets, which is our local market, because once more, just like the Chinese, the local markets will be looking after the local markets as they should. It's their parochial right, and that's where they started, and it's possibly where they'll finish. But car manufacturers, uh, the only way you can describe them coming into 2022 and uh, 2023, see, Mum, I got that nomenclature right that time, um, is a word beginning with F and ending with D, and it's not stuffed, so that's S. But yeah, uh, world car manufacturing is going to be brought to its knees by this supply chain problem of raw materials. And then there are issues above and beyond the raw materials, such as the cost of shipping has just gone through the roof bringing things from overseas with your friendly FedEx or DHL or TNT or whoever it is you use has basically doubled to tripled in the past six months. That's right, and guess who pays the on cost of that? You, the consumer. So it's a pretty bleak picture that I'm painting at the halfway point of this epicast for today, or getting close to it, but it's a real one. It is an absolutely morbid outlook we have. So new car supply is going to dry up. So I can't see any real end to the inherent craziness in secondhand car prices. I mean, that doesn't bother me. I own a few secondhand cars. <laughs> so if I've got to sell them, I will. But what are you going to buy? Right? It's like people saying, oh, my house has gone up. You know, it went from a million to $1.5 million in six months, so I'm going to sell it. Yeah, but the place you're going to buy has also gone up by the same percentage. So, you know, if you sell your VF Commodore that really should only be worth 25 grand and you get 50 for it, base model we're talking, V8, um, you're going to have to pay that much more for something else decent, either that or buy an absolute shit box. So, you see, no one wins here. The only ones that win, if they ever actually sell a car, 
are the Gronks that have got um, a million dollars on a GDR that cost them 80 grand, or maybe that's a bit steep, uh, 250 grand, right? They might be the ones that win. But these bargains, uh, uh, bargains, these cars are drying up. Those ones will sit around, I believe, forever till they're dust because, you know, COVID mania and pandemic supply chain stupidity can only go on so long before people get a big slap upside the head. And here's the problem, right? For all these people trying to sell cars worth one buck for a million bucks, is that the money is now going to run out. Now, this isn't a Martin Donham business series. God help me. I'm not that good at it myself. I've struggled through life because I've got a great smile and a charming personality and more than one functioning brain cell, maybe two. This isn't any business, you know, lesson for me. But what I'm saying is that when the cost of raw goods, normal goods, such as food and uh, fuel and everything else goes up staggeringly as well, the inflation, you know, starts to spiral out of control, there isn't actually going to be the cash there. I mean, there is a lot of money out there laying around in Australia that people just don't know about. I see people every day that throw money at things and you'd think, but you live in a shoebox and you're spending $100,000 on mods. Why? Anyway, that's their problem. The money is out there, but it's rapidly going to dry up now. The government's run out and they're going to be hitting us for as much as they can. Yes, they get me good. Um, but when no one's got $50,000 for that entry-level V8 Commodore secondhand with 292,000 miles on the clock, third engine, non-matching numbers, and fifth body, who's going to buy it if you need to sell it, you see? That's why the realists now, and there are some realists in this game, are cutting their prices a bit to get a bit of a sale going on. Because 2022, boys and girls, isn't looking that good. Things are going to get really tough. I mean, there'll always be the ballers out there to buy your F40 if you've got one tucked in the shed, or, you know, some other thing like that. But your actual medium sort of, what was a medium price range car that you're speculating on for 100 grand, just ain't going to happen anymore. As my dad once told me, it's either got to be a manufacturer that has a long motor racing history, or it has to be a bloody good looking and brilliant car, or has to have both. I mean, look at the traditionally super duper priced cars, uh, Ferrari, Porsche, AMG, Mercedes, you know, all Bugatti, all of those brands have a racing pedigree. And I mean, sure, Holden has a racing pedigree too, uh, but not really anything of any note outside of this little island or big island that we live on known as Australia. So yeah, times might get tough for some of the Holden investors and, and they may well not too. You know, again, I've been wrong before. I will be wrong again. Being wrong is something that I can cope with. Um, yeah, so it's going to tighten up. So if you are speculating and you are trying to, you know, do some deals on cars, be bloody careful because the bubble will burst and sooner than you think. And when the music stops, there's a diesel. Goodbye, diesel. And when the music stops, there'll be nobody left with money to buy your cars. So supply shortages, uh, people killing each other in the street over a loaf of bread. Maybe that's being a little bit, you know, over the top. 
but welcome to 2022 and 2023. Hmm. Hopefully, I'm nowhere near. Right. Now, on to other more cheery matters. Today, as I run my mouth off in this epicast, I got some good news this morning. Or some news that I found encouraging is that someone did an eight in a plaid overnight at Maryland International Speedway. Maryland being the home of my friends and very close to it, uh, Rick Arbogast and um, JJ Jabachi from IAG Performance. No, they don't sponsor the show. They probably don't even like me because I make jokes about Subaru head gaskets. But boys and girls, get yourself a IAG stage one, two, three, four, five, and X block, and you won't have any head gasket issues at all. But yeah, up at Maryland, um, Christine Dodworth, nobody in Australia would probably know who that is, but they probably might know her hubby, George Dodworth, because he did some crazy shit with a GTR yesterday. A rear-wheel drive R35, which means he wasn't running the front clutch, the front diff, the front drive shafts, the front tail shaft. Interesting, but it's still a GR6 with a few tube bits in it. Reset ETS's world um, R35 GDR record. 230 odd mile per hour, I think ETS have done similar to that, and you know, 6.5 or you know, just under ETS, so good effort, right? I don't give a damn who you are or what you do if you can get a GDR down there and uh, down the quarter mile in 6.5 seconds and it's a 35 and a tank, you're doing pretty good. In fact, any GDR in the sixes, regardless of what it is, is doing pretty good. The unitary body car or a unibody car, whatever they bloody call it. But the miso gets out there, Christine, and bangs off 8.9 at 155.1, 8.994 at 155.10, to be precise, I believe, from looking at the video, in her plaid. Lightweight wheels, drag radials by the look, hard to tell from the video, but they were making that, you know, super well-prepped track with drag radial pulling off the noise. And, um, from what I'm hearing, obviously no interior. Like, pull the seats out, put a lightweight race seat in. You know, seats are pretty much the only thing that weighs anything in the interior of a Telstra. Door cards and stuff, I mean, they're plastic you know, with bits of fabric and shit on them. They don't weigh anything. Seats, on the other hand, with all their SRS systems and whatever, do. So, yeah, she, she did it. She's first into the eights. And I put up a little thing on my Facebook page, and all of a sudden, the haters start. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, the thing was fully stripped to run an eight. You know, I don't call that a production car. Well, you show me any other car you can buy in the world off the showroom floor that you can modify that cheaply, wheels, tyres, and a seat removal to do an eight-second pass. You show me, and uh, I'll run naked down the main strip in Vegas. Maybe Fremont Street, Main Street, there's a bit too many people, a few too many Hummers. Um, we don't want to come across a Hummer, do we? Um, yeah, so Christine, hats off to you, you did it. And that's the same way I think Uncle Chet with his submarine had done a 9.08 with no traction. And Christine comes out there, so that's the first plaid into the eights, the first Tesla in the world into the eights, the first female Tesla driver into the eights, and the first electric car in Maryland that's made in America into the H. You get where I'm coming from? No one's claiming any records, but it's just cool shit and we need more of that. So, thankfully, Luke must have listened to my podcast, the guy with the RSGR uh, the other day, and he obviously wasn't upset with me because he jumped on and started defending me because you know, some guy's saying, who buys a 250 grand car 
Uh, it's 130 in America, guys, and uh, 230 here. And rips the interior up and puts a race seat in to do an eight. I would think anyone that seriously wants to do an eight. That would be my guesstimation of the whole thing. Would I be wrong? Maybe not. And he's like, yeah, that's crap. And so I came back and Luke just said, mate, they're not claiming any records. You're being stupid. That's effing fast and a really good effort, which Luke was dead right. It is. Um, and then I pipped it in there saying, you know, uh, you show me any other car that can do that. And the answer came back. Uh, the guy owns a twin turbo Lambo, I believe, and quite a fast one. It's got a, a sheep in it or something, twin turbo kit. Ah, must be done in New Zealand. No, it's got a sheepy race twin turbo kit, which is, I hear, a very, very good thing. I don't use them. We use ETS stuff, but, I mean, turbo's a turbo. And he said, he just came back to me and he said, oh, yeah, true, it is bloody good, actually, Martin. You're right. Uh, I just prefer ice and twin turbos. Well, that's cool. You know what I mean? But it doesn't mean you've got to go giving your two cents worth on something that's basically unfounded and shit. Um, on the internet, just because you can. You can have a twin turbo Lambo. There are plenty of people around with them. And you can have a nice car. But it doesn't mean everybody else is stupid. And maybe you should try keeping up with that Evo that keeps beating you at roll racing. But I didn't say that. No, very good car you got there, Alex. And... Uh, I like the way you responded in the end. Not that it matters what I think at all. Um, which also brings me to another point before we go today. Something bloody, bloody funny that I saw. And it pops up in my feed everywhere. You see, every time someone does something daft with an electric car, everyone tags me. I mean, I've done dafter things in ice vehicles or pipe cars as we call them isn't it funny everything revolves around meth with an internal combustion engine it's either an ice vehicle or a pipe car or let's meth inject it are you getting a hint here you know that you must have to be a crackhead to be into this crap right so some donger runs out of uh runs out of juice in a car park in london and um blocks the exit ramp of a five-story car park for hours apparently while they uh, worked out how to get some charge into this thing five hours or three hours total load of horseshit right typical stage stunt sponsored by your local petrol station more than likely why do i say this well the car will be screaming at you for about 20 k's before it actually stops it was a model three i know this i've never let mine stop this is no good for the batteries anyway and then when you get there, even when you get to 0%, they have a buffer built in. You know, like when you get on the 0Ks to empty on your crack car. That's what we call them now, crack cars. You get on, you know, ice, meth, pipe. Yeah, so when you got 0Ks to empty on your crack gauge, same thing. But anyway, so this car would have been screaming at them. And they've just stopped it there. And instead of putting it into emergency mode, you still have enough battery to do that and put it into neutral and pushing it out the way. They left it there. And instead of actually getting the charger out of the boot and running an extension cord to it for 10 minutes, so it had a few k's of range, they left it there. And of course, it's like, oh, <laughs> the nose pickers, they're picking boogers, eating them, tagging me in this shit. It was just awesome. But again, they're just totally wrong. Like, you know, people used to do this with horses and Model Ts. I mean, there was a fair chance that horses were better than Model Ts. But there's pretty much no hope an Astra's better than a Model 3. You get that? Right. And if you don't, 
you probably should switch off now because you're not worthy of listening to this fine epicast. But for those of you that are followers and supporters, thank you for tuning in once more to Range Anxiety.